0: Happy Friday, developers. Today is August 11th, 2023, and welcome back to our Roundup episode where you can catch up on episodes you missed or get a quick rundown of the past two weeks from PodRocket. So let's get started. First up, we welcome back our favorite TypeScript guy, Matt Pocock, to answer your questions about TypeScript. In this clip, one of our listeners asked him about design patterns and how to use them within TypeScript.
1: So there's a couple
2: more kind of in the dev sphere I want to cover here before we do that. There was one, let me see if I can find this question. Yeah, they're asking about design patterns and like kind of TypeScript's relationship. They're asking, what are the specific use cases for different design patterns to use with TypeScript? What are some steps that can make uh, working with those design patterns easier? Have you found there's any kind of anything unique to TypeScript in particular that makes certain patterns easier to deploy and utilize versus just vanilla
1: JavaScript? Yeah, for sure. So TypeScript does a lot of, it's all about the shapes of things. So every time you declare like an interface or a type, then you're declaring a shape that something has to correspond to. Mm -hmm, And what TypeScript is really good at is making sure that every line by line, the shape of something is as you think it should be. This means... Quite naturally, it's better with immutable data structures instead of mutable ones, because if you're mutating something line by line, then you're changing it as it goes, and you're not really able to tell TypeScript what that new thing is. Right. That means it's, let's say you're mutating an object, for example, and you're saying, okay, I want to take this array of things, stick these all in an object. It's going to be quite hard for you to dynamically type that, really. Mm-hmm. So you're going to need some type signatures on that, and but that's fine. TypeScript also, it's really like the more complex your JavaScript is, the more complex your TypeScript is going to be, right. because TypeScript just describes JavaScript. That's all it does. It doesn't add any anything extra, really. It just does some stuff on top to make sure that your JavaScript is doing what it's supposed to be doing. Really, it can do everything that JavaScript does. There, there are no patterns that you can do in JavaScript that TypeScript can't do. It's all about what's more idiomatic to TypeScript, what's easier to do, uh, what requires fewer annotations. And in general, what that means is programming in a more, I don't know about functional style, but yeah. TypeScript really just loves functions. That's what it loves. And if you're designing like an API or something and you're finding that you're, you need people to like mutate stuff or, or do lots of sort of class inheritance, it's good with class inheritance as well, good with OOP, but functions is really where it shines. And that's where you can really use the more powerful TypeScript features to your advantage. So I don't know about specific patterns and stuff, but use more immutability instead of mutation and TypeScript is really as flexible and wide as you want it to be.
2: Yeah, I I think, I guess I agree. That's what I found as well. I found I'm not like a functional diehard, like a lot of devs are, but I do think that I go out of my way heavily to write code that is like very functional. I'm even hesitant to use a case statement or something a lot of the time or like nest- Like I'll break something out into a function, even if I'm adding additional lines, just because I know I don't have any extemporaneous state at all. There's zero mutations here if I can just go into a function. And I think that TypeScript tends to point me that way. It wasn't like a conscious thing when I started using it, but it, it just feels the inference is smarter. Like I'm, it makes me even more hesitant to like mutate at all. No, everything needs to be static. Like I just know what's going on.
1: Uh, definitely and every function you feel really good about because you've got you understand what all the arguments are strongly typed and so you can capture stuff in that function and it just makes you feel warm and fuzzy really there's not that much kind of global stuff that you can interact with if you don't need it and and also i'd say that it's also pretty hard to type this for instance in typescript and it's certainly possible but it's just not very idiomatic and so you end up not using that much in terms of classes in terms of this on objects and this in functions and stuff just because it's a it's just easier just to type a function and have a function and just do it in the normal sort of quasi-functional way right right
2: yeah and I, it, there's probably something there again I'm, I've never been like a huge a person that like is super reliant on the object-oriented paradigm so I'm probably not very well equipped to speak to that either but the, I guess if you encounter people that have that were like, have operated in that way for a very long time. They're very familiar with it. It's how they expect code bases to look when they're in them. And they rub up against this suggestion that TypeScript is making or its preference towards having code that works this way, just in ease of the dev experience. And that kind of be a point of, I
1: don't know, just friction for them at all. Mm. I think it's easy to look at TypeScript from the surface and say, oh, I see TypeScript has has native support for enums so it has native support for interfaces and classes oh that's interesting right. oh the guy who made typescript he's he <laughs> made c sharp didn't he so i see so it's like a c sharp in javascript mm-hmm. but it's and and that might it's often the opposite actually often people say like this is way too object-oriented for me this was an early criticism of typescript it was like no way man it's just c sharp in javascript and i've had to field that opinion as well but it's not It's it's just not like it's If anything, like TypeScript, I think probably interfaces might not be added. No, interfaces probably would be added for various reasons, but enums wouldn't be added, I think. Mm -hmm. Classes, if they didn't exist already in JavaScript, wouldn't have been added in TypeScript. So, yeah, I don't know. That criticism sort of rings a bit hollow to me, but it's gotten a lot more flexible and I think... TypeScript's job really these days is just to describe JavaScript and just to cleave very closely to what JavaScript does. And it's doing a great job of that at the moment.
0: Next, we had Minko Gechev, head of product for Angular at Google, who came on to talk about the evolution of Angular over the years and how he sees it changing in the future. Here, he talks about how competition has helped keep Angular growing.
2: Um, As Angular has grown, in seven times in the past five years and so on. It's grown also in the face of competition, right? And I don't mean competition negatively. I just mean there's a lot of options nowadays, especially around things like Solid, Svelte, Kit, Svelte, Quick, and React, of course. I'm curious, how has this competition influenced Angular? I know, for example, that you're moving from Zone.js to Signals, and I'm assuming this is because of the competition with Solid, but I'm curious how else the competition has affected Angular and its development.
3: Yeah, I love that you're bringing it up. And also, I love that you're positioning like competition and just having different alternatives is something good, not necessarily bad, because I see how the community often thinks that framework out there is there spending their time in a, like a dark basement, trying to compete with everyone else and hitting all other frameworks, which is definitely not the case. We've had Ryan Carnero from given give us a talk about their activity model. We had Rich Harris talk about Svelte, give us... Like, so we're in touch. Like we discussed hydration recently with him. We've had Evan Yu and obviously Mishko who built Quick was very heavily involved in the initial design of Angular. Yeah, we're talking to all these people and we're learning different things from each framework. For example, when we were evaluating the different, like we wanted to change the Angular reactivity model because we saw that zone might not be the most optimal thing because of the way it operates. It just assumes that we're going to be performing global change detection. We started researching different alternatives and we have also always, we already have a compiler. So we're thinking, should we just make our compiler a little like more sophisticated so it can track dependencies at build time or. And this way we can have a runtime reactivity that is supported by this compiler. Or should we just keep it the way it is, compiling templates to very efe- efficient instructions and use an alternative reactivity primitive, such as signals, because yeah, why not? Or should we use signals in the way that they're being used to install it? Or should we explore something more with proxies instead? So we just explore this reactivity space. We learned a lot from different frameworks, from Solid, from Svelte. We learned a lot from Vue, like all these frameworks, which have already really well established patterns for reactivity. And we tried to put these reactivity concepts into the context of Angular and see how they fit the Angular's mental model and Angular's change detection. And what is going to be the most efficient, the most like, performant and developer like ergonomic thing for us to do. So we decided to go with signals. That's one example where We drew a lot of inspiration from SolidJS, for instance. And this has been an ongoing process. We're looking into how we can improve the Angular altering experience because we got feedback from one of our developer surveys that this is a good opportunity for us to modernize the altering experience for components. We have been looking at the entire framework space and evaluating the trade-offs for each individual altering format and figuring out how it fits the Angular's principles. So one of the minor changes that we did recently, I'll say it's minor just because just changing the control flow statements like our NGF and NG4 are now going to look a little bit more... People are saying that they look a little bit more like Svelte, but I'll say that they look a little bit more like the templating formats that inspired Svelte in the past. So it has been just like a cycle over time where different concepts just proved to be successful over time by being adopted by next generation technologies.
0: And finally, we welcomed on Michael Brevik, CTO of Variant, who came on to talk about how React architectures have changed and will continue to change in the future.
4: At some point, architecture wasn't a big part of front-end because it was just fragments of code running on the front end in addition. So there weren't any need of architecture in a broader sense. But also after a while, when moving over to the client in more sense, we get more code and more needs to structure it and, and do more uh, with it. And at that same point, I think just by happenstance or something, but also the functional paradigm was at a rise. So thinking more about it at bot, at the functional thought patterns in a way. So it's just happened to coincide. But I also think that it's one of the reasons is that the web and how the statelessness of the web functions is also something that's good to model in the uh, functional aspect. So I did some talks about this, for instance, at JSConf Budapest, I think in 2015. I tried to see that if we're structuring our code as composable bits of components, essentially, we can build complex applications on top of smaller uh, iterations or smaller fragments of code, which is like the functional manifesto in a way. But yeah. So I think it's the, the merging of two thoughts that's fits together in a way.
2: Yeah. Do you feel these kind of uh, languages or frameworks, sorry, like react or it's very similar can, um, do you feel that they're inherently functional at least today and that they mingle with state where they need to? like? inputs and stuff like that. But do you think that the, the frameworks are encouraging devs to write functional code inherently? Or is it still something that needs to be consciously thought about?
4: I think it's getting a bit more pragmatic, at least. So I think when the flirtatious period with functional programming was at its strongest, when we were doing functional lenses and cursors and, and immutable data structures, that's simulating how like applicative functors means and whatever, like all the the terminology and all the academic things from the functional programming world was at its strongest. I think were more likely to be guided toward that thought Mm. and that architectural patterns. But I think that's regressed in the later years. Mm. So for instance, now we're having... Yes, you can say it's like a functional aspect in, in, in a way, but it's more pragmatic. You have more escape hatches. Uh, you, you can write in different ways. Fundamentally, it's kind of functional, but it's not as important to know that it's functional in a way.
2: Got it. Yeah, yeah I think that's probably a very concise way to put it, like a highly pragmatized functional kind of framework is interesting. How does this play into what you
4: cover in your talk? Is this shift what you're talking about or is there more to it? Not really. So, so the main parts of functional that we're still striving towards is determinism in a way. Mm-hmm. So how to produce applications that are inherently like foreseeable or something that you can say that this is guaranteed to be this value or right. this is something that's I, I can stand for in a sense. But I think that's just like the kind of the web taking its direction or taking its paradigm in 2013-ish React world, thinking that this is how we're supposed to think about it. I think maybe my key takeaway to start with that is that we're doing a lot of things in the front-end world that also seems like there's a lot to do and a lot to think about but it's a variation of the different concepts that's explored in user land, as I call it.
0: And that's it for today, Friday, August 11th. You can check out the full episodes linked in our show notes or on our feed. And if you like what you hear, follow PodRocket for more great web development content. See you at the next roundup. This episode was brought to you by LogRocket. Try it for free at logrocket.com.